Don't only uh, find a seat, also find a copy of God's Word, if you would, please. We're going to turn to uh, the Gospel of Luke. And in the Pew Bible, I believe it's page 871, Luke chapter 12. We're going to look at verse 35. We're actually going to look at a a large section. A little review before we do. Uh, Last week, we came across verse 19 in chapter 12, where uh, we, we, we see this verse that says, Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, that's, that's something we can get behind, right? That, that, that's something we can embrace. Let's eat, drink, and be, let's relax, eat, drink, and be merry, right? Plus, I mean, in light of the fact that all the things that shift, we talked about this last week, remember we talked about all that shifts with regard to policy and science and medicine and nutrition. Any day now, any day now, they the experts that would be are going to tell us what we already know, that donuts and fries are really good for us. Just hang in there. Any day now, it's going to break through. In fact, the irony of it this week, I kid you not, in my Apple, you know, my news feed, it said, there was a news headline that said, are peanut butter and jelly sandwiches healthy for you? Do you want to know the answer? I don't know. I didn't read it. I didn't take the time to do that. What we encounter this morning uh, isn't shifting. Uh, it's it's the unchanging, fixed wisdom and truth of God's word. We, we open it. We know that we will find life and health and help here. It's God's revealed will. This is God describing himself uh, to us. Earlier in the chapter, Jesus said that we should not be anxious about our life, what we eat or what we drink or what we, we wear. Now, that's a, that's a different view. That is, a, that is an alternative opinion, if you will. Because, of course, if anything is fixed in marketing and media, it's this. Love money and fear death or anything associated with that that looks like or smells like want or poverty. Fear those things and love money. And that will be well for you and for all of us, right? But then, of course, in his infinite wisdom, Jesus says to us, no, love God and fear death. God. It's one of the reasons that we kind of pressed in on last week. We talked about taking inventory of sorts and not looking at our, our, our net worth in material uh, goods, but our spiritual net worth, which, which, which last week we said is all the things that we possess that money cannot buy and death cannot take away. Think about that. Yes, of course, the materialist, last week we read earlier in chapter 12, this, this wealthy man, he stores up for himself. He has stockpiled so much goods. It didn't occur to him that one of the simple solutions to that would be to be generous. No, he says, no, I'll tear down what I have for storehouses and barns and build them even bigger so that I can sit back, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Of course, that's where you, that verse would have been just fine if we keep taking it out of context But verse 19 comes another verse right behind it. Verse 20, but God. But God, verse 20 in our chapter here says to him, you fool. This night your soul is required of you and the things that you've prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That's what we were pressing in on last week. We were talking about the importance of being Rich towards, we know what it's like to be prepared to, we, we know we're reminded through many avenues of what it means to be wealthy and to have, uh, you know, assets that mature and we can, you know, have investments. Here, we're told to be rich toward God. And so I want to explore more of what that means. Why? Because verse 34 says, where your treasure 
Jesus says, right before we're opening up this passage, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's what's most important is our hearts, the root of our being, the spring uh, uh, from which our life and our priorities and our choices and behaviors flow. And we're going to cover three portions here. And uh, if there's ever a Sunday that you needed to put your thinking cap on, uh, it's this one. So hang with me. Let me invite you to stand one more time in deference to God's word and to get the blood flowing. Keep that blood flowing, okay? Chapter 12, verse 35. Hear this. This is the word of God. I'm only going to read the first portion. Stay dressed, Jesus says. Right after he says, where your heart is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 35, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that you may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes to the second watch or the third or then finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But... Knowing this, that if the master of the house hadn't known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Verse 41, well, Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? The Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager? Whom is his master will set over his household to give him their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and to get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will will be, excuse me, verse 47. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did, did what was deserved a beating will receive a lighter beating. Everyone to whom much is given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. This is God's word. Thanks be to him. Please be seated. Let's ask God's help. Spirit of the living God, we pray that you uh, would free us from any distraction. Would you free us from any self-deception right now so that we might understand and cherish and apply the truth and the hope of your word in this passage. We pray in your son's name and for his sake. Amen. We know that uh, our forefathers uh, were an industrious people often at times. Benjamin Franklin is the one who is purported to have this phrase. Do not put off until tomorrow what you can do today. Of course, some very clever modern procrastinators have now twisted and turned that on its head and said, what? Don't do today what you can put off till tomorrow. (laughs) There's a whole variety of sayings that surround this. Here's another one. Procrastination gives you something to look forward to. <laughs> we, we know that there's plenty of others that say that's the positive spin. We know there's others that are very negative. Jesus here clearly, and you'll see it even more as I read the next two portions, is clearly conveying, if not stressing, a sense 
of urgency. The order of service I have listed there, three headings for us, and like a subdivision of sorts. There's the urgency of preparing, there's the urgency of discerning, and then going into the first uh, verses of chapter 13, there's an urgency to repenting. So the portion that I just read, verses 35 to 48, we see this urgency in preparing. And there's this parable of the master here. He's away and he has a head manager here whom Jesus is saying would be wise if verse 35 was to stay dressed, ready, prepared for for action. He doesn't have his PJs on. He's got his shoes on and he's got his clothes on. He's ready to go about the work even into the, 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 the later watches of the night. This is early, early morning here that we're we're seeing and that the hope would be that when the master would, would return home. And this is kind of shocking that Jesus would even say the blessing here is that the master would actually go and put on his work clothes and serve those who were ready, even at the, that late hour of the night prepared for him. That's the blessing that he in verse 37 would be the one that would, uh, would encourage them to recline and the master would serve them. But of course, there's the warning, right? Good news, bad news. The warning here is that you will be destroyed if you're not prepared. If you are just making assumptions and if you are not, if you're not laying forward in some form of preparation, the parable is telling us there is great danger here. And it might even seem a little bit harsh, right? To say, oh, this is, this is such a harsh punishment for those who are the ill-prepared and the unfaithful. And to one, and to one sense, I might agree, except that verse 47 is very clear. Why is it so severe? Well, Let's read it again. And that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to what? His master's will. Here the principle is coming forth of, of stewardship. The manager should have been ready. And all of us, all of us have been given lots. What's to be anticipated? All of us have time. All of us have a measure of wealth and an understanding and knowledge. Sometimes we summarize that by saying our time, our talent, our treasure. And it shouldn't be invested in just ourselves. As easy as that is, as natural as that is, as much as everything you know, that we hear is pushing us that way, we know that the master has conveyed his will. And again, he's coming at a time that we, we don't anticipate. We should be rich toward God. You're gonna hear me say that multiple times, that we should be rich Toward God. Sometimes we don't know exactly what that means. We definitely know what that doesn't mean. And we would be wise to kind of take inventory in how we spend our time, our talent, our treasure that shows that we're prepared for meeting our maker and our master. Well, let's continue reading. I won't have you stand. But verse 49, let's pick back up in Luke 12. I came, Jesus says, and this is where we see another sense of urgency. I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it already have been kindled i have a baptism jesus says to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished do not think i have come to give peace do you think i've come to give peace on earth no i tell you but rather division for from now on one for from now on in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother and mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Verse 54, and he said to the crowds, 
When you see a cloud rising in the west and say at once a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing and you say, well, there will be a scorching heat and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourself what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. We'll pause there. What's Jesus saying? Well, Jesus initially here saying that there's an urgency in properly discerning what's coming and what we should be practicing by way of priority. Now, the words here, if we're really honest, if we, if we did have our thinking caps on, and we do, hopefully, that we would say, this is really a Jesus I'm not so comfortable or familiar with. It's shocking. It's, it's un, unsettling. Of course, most people aren't familiar with all the words of Jesus. It would be shocking to know how many people have actually endeavored in earnest to read all of the New Testament. This past week, I I saw the clip from an interview that Elon Musk did in December with the writers of a Christian satire uh, called The Babylon Bee, which I happen to enjoy. Elon Musk, now there's a guy who's been industrious. Uh, There's a guy who's definitely wealthy, who could definitely say, let's relax, eat, drink, and be merry. He had an interview with these guys. At the end, they asked him a pointed question concerning Jesus as Savior. You can go look at it for yourself on YouTube. But he presses in on the question. I was kind of surprised. He kept speaking increasingly favorable about Jesus. He talked about how much he resonated with Jesus' good teachings on on things like love and forgiveness. But clearly, Elon Musk does not know all of the full teachings of Jesus because he, like we, at times would chafe would be resistant, would be reluctant. We find ourselves uncomfortable. Instead, what we like to do is we like to piece together the parts that resonate with us, and then we are, we're inclined. Each of us, we could even admit this. It would be wise for us to acknowledge that there is part of us that would like to make a Jesus kind of in our own image. I mean, not, 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 not entirely in our image. You know, like a, a, a slightly improved version of, of me. And, you know, and my political views and my social interest and, and you know, my, my hobby horse. And that's the kind of Jesus I can get. Just a slightly improved version of me. Jesus is saying, I'm going to bring fire. I'm going to bring judgment, in other words. A refining judgment. It's revealing. It's, 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 it's separating And the natural consequence of that is what? It is division. He says, I'm going to bring division. You might say to yourself, now I know enough about the New Testament to say, I thought Jesus said that he's the Prince of Peace. And indeed he is. But some people don't want peace with God through that Prince. Some people don't acknowledge their need to be at peace with God. And if if so, it's not through the means of this exclusive Jesus Jesus is saying this is the inevitable consequence of a life of discipleship and following Jesus wholeheartedly is that there will be division. There will even be a high cost. 
That translates into even being separated at times and feeling distant from the people that we love most, even perhaps our family. I know it says in-laws here. Sometimes that's easier to imagine. Um, Not me, in case my in-laws listen to this sermon. I love you. Uh, You get the picture, right? Jesus is saying there will come a time when even the people nearest and dearest to you, you may not align with because you're aligned with Jesus. Some of you know this very well. Some of you have experienced this in your own families. And that was one of the costs of following Jesus. Last month when I was in Bangladesh, I met a young man named Ali. And uh, I asked a story. And he went on to explain that he, just a few years ago, had converted to Christ. And he grew up in a Muslim family. And his father was very devout. And uh, as a result, his father was infuriated to find out that he was baptized and following Jesus and he tried to strangle him. He tried to kill him in, in the presence of you know, the family and his, his mother fortunately saved his life and he escaped and his father promptly went to write him out of the will. And I think that Ali could see the countenance was changing for me as I listened to him recount the story and I was troubled. And he says, but don't worry for me. I, I, I have no concern with that, that money and I... It's unfortunate. I'm sad in some ways, but I'm not. I, I love God and he has an inheritance for me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the well-known and loved author and German pastor who himself greatly suffered thanks to the Nazis, but according to his conscience in the book, The Cost of Discipleship says, the only man who has the right to say that he's justified by grace alone is the man who has left all to follow Christ. Everything. What's the cost of discipleship for you? It ought to be something. At times it will feel very high. But is it worth it? Is, is there any sense of urgency? Verse 54, Jesus goes on to say, you know how to, you know how to discern the weather, right? You, you see it coming. And that's pretty shifty in New England and you know meteorologists you know (laughs) they don't always get it right but you know there are times when it's imminent right I remember when I was in college I I worked for a summer in Daytona Beach at the at the Quality Inn and I was uh, hoping to be a painter but they turned me into a a lifeguard and a a activities director and um, there was a storm coming there was a hurricane and so everyone vacated Daytona Beach and went to find you know, refuge uh, further inland in Florida. And uh, we were left behind for a, a while there. And every room was empty in the hotel just about. And we went to the top floor. And that day, all, our only job was to go to every single room and to tape up the windows uh, on the balconies of this hotel that was right on the ocean front. I remember being probably eighth or 10th floor up thinking, I don't know if this does any good whatsoever, but I'd sure like to be down there because the waves look awesome. And those guys are down there body surfing. Sometimes we don't think things are important, but then when we see the the weather coming, they shift in our priorities. Jesus here is saying, and you get the point. You can read the weather at times. You can interpret. And you can't, you hypocrites, you're missing the point. The king and the kingdom are right in front of you. And you can't interpret the present time, Jesus is saying. There's a judgment coming. So back to our question. Are you rich Toward God. It's, 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 
It's not, it's not like preparing for, an, for retirement. Oh, if you're, well, if you're in your 60s, it's too late if you haven't done it now. Being rich towards God can begin at any point and be, be wonderful and full. And, 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 and there's an invitation to do that, even as we move into this next portion, which is not the urgency of discerning, which is easy to discern the weather sometimes, but when Jesus is in front of us, we have to discern life and priorities and how we're going to respond to that. And then this last heading here is the urgency of repenting. Because if you want to be rich toward God, the, the only avenue and the regular avenue and the reoccurring avenue and the way to do that is through repentance. Always has been, always will be. It always begins here. It doesn't end there because you come back to repentance. It's not a once and done. It's, it's an ongoing thing. So these last nine verses here, let's read again. Pick back up chapter 13. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will also likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Verse 6, And he told this parable, A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, or the gardener, Look, For three years now I have come seeking fruit from this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it it be using up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit, if if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. To clarify, uh, Jesus, who himself is a Galilean, if you'll recall, at this stage, is on his own journey towards Jerusalem. And presumably, he has people with him. And presumably, at this stage, he runs into some people who are leaving Jerusalem. What, what, what's done in Jerusalem? For the Jews, people would go and gather at the temple in Jerusalem. And they would, at certain seasons and times, offer sacrifices to God. So this is what's happening. And then they come back with this, this uh, you know, news headline, big story. Jesus, did you hear about the Galileans who suffered? And at the hands of, of, of Pilate. Yes, that's the Pontius Pilate that Jesus, we of course will read later, encounters. And he was known to be a, a rather cruel and vicious person uh, in heart at times. And, uh, and so purportedly there was this, supposedly there was some soldiers who went and took the lives of some of those who were making offerings. And the shock, wow factor of it is that while they were even making sacrifices, their blood and that blood of which they were making animal sacrifices was mingled together. It's a tragedy. Jesus doesn't seem nearly as interested in it as probably they thought he would be. His, his question to them, his response is to communicate something. Why are you focused there? But we know what it's like. We know what it's like to be rubberneckers we, when we're driving. We know what it's like to, to read a sensational news headline and we press in. Or to hear news of other forms of suffering or tragedy. And we say, oh, well, what happened? Right? Were they prepared? What was the diagnosis? How did they die? We press in almost as if we actually do believe that it's a moral universe and that some people do. You get the point. 
Of course, sometimes people do die and it's not tied to carelessness or some evil act that they perform. Perform. Sometimes calamity and suffering and death comes through other avenues. Jesus mentions here in verse 4 another incident. We really don't know anything about it, but he highlights this this group of 18 that were killed because of the Tower of Siloam. Uh, We don't know what precisely that was, but they did, and they would have understood. It's kind of like 9-11, right? We hear that. We know what that that brings to mind. It brings back to mind things like the Twin Towers. And, And Jesus is saying, do you think all those people got what they deserved? What, what, do you think that this was, this was coming to them? You sound like Job and Job's, you sound like Job's friends in the face of Job's suffering. And that's why both in verse 3 and in verse 5, he says the same exact phrase. No, I tell you, but in, that would no meaning that's not the case. They're not worse offenders. Don't assume something of their life. Don't even focus there. Instead, he's saying, no, I tell you, unless you repent, you also will perish. Don't worry about the others. Jesus is saying, take inventory about your own life. Because many of you are like Israel. They're, he's saying, you're cold towards God. Excuse me, you're cold towards Jesus, the king is standing in front of you, and you're not rich toward God. And that's because you won't repent and turn towards God. When your life and your priorities are, are tied into any earthly kingdom, you're going down with the ship. I mean, that's, that's something to take inventory on. Where am I pressing in with my time and my, my energies and my, my, the preoccupations of my mind and the places that I go? What's the point with this barren tree here? This fig tree, these last few verses we're looking at here, the owner of the vineyard comes back to check on things. And he says, look, here we are again, verse six. Let's just dispense with the tree. It doesn't bear fruit. It's been quite some time. And then the patient, merciful vine, the gardener says, let's give it another year. Let's, let's give another chance. And what I'm saying to you now, and I think Jesus is maybe pressing in for, for any of us in our own conscience, in our own assessment, and trying to discern, are we rich toward God Are we repentant? Because we have an opportunity. Today is today. We're not promised tomorrow. We're not even promised this evening. And the the gardener here is saying, there's a sense of urgency of repentance because you have an opportunity. And that resonates with other passages in the New Testament. It's found blatantly in 2 Peter 3. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Romans 2. Or do not presume upon the riches and kindness and forbearance and patience of God, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance, Paul writes, inspired of God. Did you catch that? His forbearance, his kindness, his patience. That we have a window, we have an opportunity. I know that how the world operates. The world loves to operate with that sense of urgency. That's marketing, right? You need to buy this today. If you want to be happy, if you want to be satisfied, if you want to be fill in the blank, call now. Click here. Buy it. Do it. Step out. It's so urgent. 
It's the tactic of marketing. Jesus is not saying that. He's saying the urgency we need is not personal happiness and satisfaction and financial security. That what we need is a soul that is at peace with God and rich toward God. And the step that we need to take of urgency is repentance. Repentance is letting go. Is all of the, how does this sit with you? Are we prepared? Are we prioritizing? Are we discerning if it is urgent? Repentance is letting go of things that we value above God. And friends, I can tell you the cost is painful at times. I just can't envision letting that go. I can't envision humbling myself and apologizing. I can't imagine bringing that into the light. I can't imagine not finding comfort there when our conscience and the law of God says this, Repentance, turn. Repentance, the process is costly and painful, but later it is sweet. The process of repentance is difficult, but the fruit of repentance, I'm telling you, is real and lasting and sweet. That, that on a daily level, and certainly for all eternity, the free offer of the gospel is here. Repent, turn away from sin, be rich toward God. Repentance is saying, and have you said this? Have you really said this in earnest and in honesty and in, 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 in desperation even? I am not worthy. That's the, that would be the summation of repentance. I am not worthy. I have sinned. Forgive me, God. And when we do repent, we are met with an all-sufficient Savior. He's the one who, of course, did count the cost. He understood the urgency. He understood the preparation. He understood. He knew full well. He made preparation. Look again at verse 50. It's, it's, it, it is understandably somewhat perplexing, but this is what he says. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. What is he talking about? Well, he's not talking about when he was baptized symbolically with water in the River Jordan. He's talking about a baptism that is soon to come that involves not water, but blood. He's referring to the baptism of the cross. That is where he is paying the price for us. Yes, Jesus is is distressed because he, he knows it's coming and he has done that and he's been vindicated through the resurrection. There's a place, my friends, of refuge and salvation that is only through Jesus. And we should, not, we should not delay, we should not procrastinate. We need to repent. There is no other way. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. We're clearly told this. I mean, would the Father's sacrifice? Think of this. Would the father sacrifice his own precious son, his only son, if there was any other way? But he knew that. Christ knew that. He was distressed. And the father said, there is no other way. And he lays down his life. And I'm telling you, cease today. In whatever area of your life that you need to be rich toward God. Repentance. Have that sense. Seek him. Father, thank you.
for being a merciful God. You know how our hearts and our minds and our priorities are askew and they wander. And, and yet we can be found in Christ and we can, we, you, you can still hear us and you, you abide with us. You love us and you open these windows of opportunity to repentance. Pray that we would walk in it. Would you forgive us, Lord, the ways, the ugly ways that our pride and our unbelief has shown up and our materialism and our apathy and our worry? I pray that you would replace it with love. Give us insight. Would you even give us creativity and initiative and, and yes, yes, generosity so that we can love one another more fully and love you more faithfully. Teach us, Lord, repentance. Teach us to be rich toward you. Pray you'd be with our country, Lord, our leaders. Somehow, mercifully, would you bring some measure of peace and unity in our communities? We certainly think more particularly and especially of the people of Ukraine, many of whom are scattered and struggling, suffering. There's sorrow, there's grief, deeply troubled hearts that we can't even contemplate how deep it runs. There are practical struggles. We pray for neighboring countries. We pray especially for brothers and sisters, the church in neighboring countries like Poland as they seek to care for refugees. Lord, we pray that you would restrain evil in the world. You already have. But somehow would you miraculously bring a measure of stability and peace. I pray you'd encourage our brothers and sisters in places and countries like Iran and Somalia and Afghanistan and China, India, Pakistan, Indonesia, where the church, our brothers and sisters, the family of God is persecuted, despised. You told us, Jesus, that the world hated you, they would hate us. Cause them to persevere and to bear fruit, the fruit of repentance. Well, there's some in our midst that we would pray for healing. There's some that they're not healing. They're merely hanging on. Chronic illnesses and pain, we pray you'd be merciful. You'd grant relief and perseverance. That you would comfort people with your spirit. Again, I pray that you'd help us to have a sense of urgency about the beauty of the gospel and our need to respond with repentance. For Christ's sake, we pray as he taught his disciples to pray together, saying, Our Father.